Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's House. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. Tonight I want to uh, actually finish, conclude a series that I started in March for just the Havarez called The Restoration of All Things. And uh, we began to look at this topic of restoration because um, for probably about the last almost year and a half, um, the Lord has had me really in this topic of restoration. And... um, And so it's a lot of what I'm sharing and have shared over the last uh, three times uh, has, has come out of that personal study. And, and what we've seen with this theme of restoration in the, is that it really is the theme of the Bible. It really is replete. It's everywhere from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And uh, if it's not, it's, it's kind of the song that's playing in every story. If it's not the melody, it's at least the harmony. And it's, restoration is taking place both on a very broad uh, scale and it's taking place in a very personal way. The Lord is restoring the earth. The Lord is restoring, as we looked last time at the church, the Lord is restoring his people. He's restoring nations, but he's also, David said, he restores my soul. So it's a very large topic. It is the topic of the Bible. And, um, and so really to understand the theme of restoration helps you to unlock scripture. In fact, I really think that... Um, that if you are if you run into different passages of scripture or you run into times when you're watching or reading about the Lord doing or commanding certain things in the Old Testament that you kind of scratch your head out and like, ah, what why is he doing it that way? If we could put on some lenses that are restoration, say restoration on them. Yeah. Well, I don't mean like you actually have to say it. I just meant if the lenses said that, but that's very good. You're such great students. Thank you so much. <laughs> say amen. Okay, there. (laughs) No, if you could put on lenses that had, you know, this lens of restoration and read that scripture again, I think you'd come into insight design. That's what we've been working with, this idea of restoration. And what we've seen, too, is that in the restoration process, there's kind of a a scenario, and it's three parts, and it goes like this. There's an original design. And then there's some departure from that, some deviation from the original design, and it's always because of sin. And then, uh, and then there's the restoration process, and the Lord is restoring what? Us back to that original design. And so last month, we looked at the restoration of the church because it was Pentecost on that weekend, and so it fit. So we looked at the restoration of the church, and we looked in, in the book of Acts, we saw the early church, the design, the original design of the early church. We saw um, what, you know, how what she, her function was and how, you know, we saw church government and we saw, you know, the signs and the wonders, the unity of the early church, all the things that, that she was meant to be uh, in the book of Acts. And yet we also considered that within the, the first, like, even hundred years, the first century of the beginning of the church, we begin to see a, a departure from her original design. We know that as truth was being lost, the spirit was also stepping away because he is the spirit of truth, right? So if you lose the truth, you're going to lose the spirit. The two travel together. And that's what, that was what brought the decline of the early church. And, and that steady decline took the church into the dark ages. And this is last month's message, so I, sh- I should just stop where I am. But we saw the restoration, how the Lord, even in the last 
Well, beginning with the Reformation in the 1500s, really, but even especially within the last 100 years, the Lord has been restoring aspects back into the church um, that are um, so fascinating, and it's really changing our lives as the church. And so if you need more on that you can, and didn't hear that, you can check out the podcast on that. But we see this process of restoration uh, a lot uh, in our key verses that we're using for this uh, series, and those are out of Acts 3, 19 through 21, and it says this, Peter's speaking, this is the day of Pentecost, and he says to the crowd there that's listening, he says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Messiah, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient time. And so here's what Peter says. He says, there is a time on uh, on God's calendar. In fact, it's it's called. Um Let's see, the period of restoration. And this word in the Greek for period is chronos. It's, and it means, it means like chronological. That's how we get it. So it's, it's a specific time. It's a specific date. And only the Father knows when this is. But the Lord is on God's calendar that Jesus is going to return. And Peter says the restoration of all things, the culmination of the restoration of all things is linked to, it will happen when Jesus returns. But in verse 19, he says to the crowd that's listening, and like basically until that time, we're living in, um, we can experience uh, times of refreshing. Times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. And this word, times, is not chronos, it's kairos, which means there's a window of time. It's a window of opportunity. So here's what we're saying. There is on God's calendar a time when there will be the restoration of all things, and it will coincide with the return of Jesus. But until that day, there will be many windows of opportunity for you and I to receive uh, times of refreshing. Literally in the Greek, it means to catch your breath. And so there's going to be, and haven't you experienced that? I mean, I've experienced that. I came to know the Lord. Peter says, repent and return. Hey, I came to know the Lord. I hope you have too. That right there was the most refreshing thing that's ever happened in my life, right? But even since then, I've had times when I've experienced the refreshing of the Lord, where the renewing of my mind or the encouragement and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and whether it was alone with him or it was with you, you know, as we come together and we worship, I I mean, we've experienced these times of refreshing, but it's not the whole thing, is it? Not yet. I'm not exactly all where I want to be yet, but praise God, I'm not where I was because I've had these times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord, but my mind is, is hopeful. My, my faith is steady because I know that at one day when, the, when I see the Lord face to face, there's going to be a full restoration that takes place and it will take place for, and he says, for all things. Well, tonight I want to talk about specifically um, the topic of, of something that whether you have fully realized it or not, you are a key player in, and you are so vital to uh, this aspect of restoration. God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom has set it up so that every single believer, Jew or Gentile, every believer 
is key to the restoration of Israel. And so this is what I want to talk about tonight. It's a, it's a big subject. There's no way we're going to exhaust the thing. But I hope that maybe I can whet your appetite a little bit so that maybe even you would go home and, and your ears would be open to it, maybe in a fresh way, your eyes in a new way, that you, as you read the word, you're going to be seen. It's like the restoration of Israel is on God's calendar. It's on his heart, and you are a part of it. And I want to um, you know, just kind of unpack that a little bit tonight. So we're going to talk about... Um, we're going to start out and we'll talk about Israel's original design. Why in the world did the Lord establish the nation of Israel? We're going to talk about uh, the cause of, just briefly, the cause of her decline. How was, you remember our scenario, there's an original design, there's a decline or, or departure from it, and then there's a restoration. What was her design? What caused the decline of Israel? How is it that she deviated from that original design? And how is it that the Lord is restoring Israel back to her original design? And what does it have to do with you and I? How are we key players in this? Because we actually are. So let's, let's pray tonight and ask the Lord to help the speaker speak fast. Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, uh, just for a real anointing, Lord. I think that this is a topic that's close to your heart. It's precious to you, and it's really precious for Beit Abba. It's really about who we are. And so, Father, I pray for the anointing of your spirit. I pray that you would come and, and open our eyes of understanding, and uh, Lord, that you would inhabit this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk about Israel's design. Why did God establish the nation of Israel? Why is it that he designated her as the chosen, chosen people? Let's, let's take a, a quick meander back to the Garden of Eden real quick. Not that um, we're going to spend a ton of time there, but I just feel like we have to start there just to say, to recognize that in Genesis 1 and 2, and even, uh, well, 1 and 2, everything was perfect, wasn't it? Everything was great. Man was great. Mankind was great. The earth was great. Everything was good. Everything was very good. And all was well until the fall in cha Genesis chapter 3. And then what happened was we had, and you, you know this, but just think through with me, okay? I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but just think it through with me. Then there was the fall of man, and sin came in, and there were curses that came. There was curse that came to the earth. There was a curse that came on the people, and there was a separation and fellowship between God and, and man. And this was a problem. And God is a God of restoration. He's a God of fellowship. He's a God of relationship. And so he knew that he, in order for this restoration process to be, uh, to be uh, established, in order for it to be complete, it, it would require himself. What was lost by man would have to be reclaimed by man. Do you hear me? What was lost by man had to be reclaimed by man. But there was no man who could qualify there was no sinless blood. In fact, it says in Romans, it tells us that through Adam's sin, it spread to the whole world. Look at Romans 5.12. It says, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that man is made in the image of God, but by Genesis 5, it says that Adam has a son, Seth, in his image. And what does that mean? It means that he, Seth and, and all of us since then have been born um, spiritually dead, alienated, separated from God. We need to be born again. 
because we were born spiritually dead. Well, this happened. And so, so the who's, you know, who's going who's gonna to do it? Who's, if a man lost it and a man has to reclaim it, who's going to do it? So God sent his son. God sent his son in the form of a man, Philippians chapter 2. And he was born as a, from, not of the seed of a man, but from a virgin. He was separated from that lineage of sin. And he came and he was born a, uh, and, and uh, lived a sinless life. And so Jesus came. Listen, uh, Revelation 13.8 tells us that the Lamb of God was slain even before the foundation of the earth. Meaning, this has been on God's calendar all along. He knew that man would sin. He knew that the fellowship would be broken. He knew that it would require himself coming to the earth, dying on the cross, bearing the punishment and the penalty of all of our sin. And yet it's exactly what he did. And Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You are the joy. You are the pleasure. He had you in mind when he went to the cross and he said, she's worth it. He's worth it. They're worth it. I am willing to do this to come and, and you know, he could have just stopped the whole process. He could have said, you know, that's just not worth it. But no, but because of his deep love for you, this reckless love that we were singing about tonight, he said, they're worth it. There's no shadow, there's no mountain. I'm gonna take, do whatever it takes to go and redeem, to restore my people. And so this is exactly uh, what he did. And so it, uh, the thing is, is, if he's gonna send his son, then how is the son going to come? Just think with me, but how is the son gonna come uh, to the earth, how is he going to be presented? And this is why Israel was established, because the Lord chose to use Abram to establish a nation, to establish a people to whom the Messiah, the anointed one, the Messiah, would eventually come. He established a people, and it wasn't because Israel was bigger or smarter or larger or more famous than anybody else. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says the exact opposite. He said, you were the least but I chose you, my affections I, were on you, I loved you, Israel, and I established you, and I chose you for a people for my own. And what did he do? He gave Israel his laws. He gave uh, Israel the revelation of himself. Nobody else, there weren't any other, other nations that had the revelation of God. In fact, they were all polytheistic, and Israel was the first to have a monotheistic uh, view of there is one God, there is one God, and he's the God of Israel. And so Israel was entrusted with the, the Torah, the, the teachings, the instructions of God. They were entrusted with the prophets they were, that would foretell of the Messiah, this one who would come and take care of this sin problem once and for all. They were given the message of, of, of salvation and all the types and the shadows and the promises through all of the Old Testament that were all pointing to the Messiah. Even this message, it, as we saw in Acts chapter 3, the message of restoration was spoken of in the ancient prophets, and they were all speaking of a time when this restoration would come to its full culmination, its full process, and this is the people this is why Israel was the chosen people. This is what they're chosen for. It's not pick, they're not chosen for, uh, as you know, some of them joke or uh, joke. They weren't chosen for persecution. They weren't chosen for uh, trouble. You know, remember Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof? Could you have just chosen someone else? You know, what were what were they chosen for? It feels like 
trouble, but no, chosen to be uh, the, the people to whom the Messiah would come and that they would be a, um, a blessing to the other nations. And so let's look at the original design then of Israel. You know that God established Israel uh, through a covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. And let's just read that real quick. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. But I'm just going to read here verse 1 probably first. Now the Lord said, that makes sense, doesn't it? Read verse 1 first. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Just take a brief time out, and here's just a little rabbit trail just for your consideration. When Adam and Eve were, um, had to leave the garden, it says in the word that they, had to go, they went to the east. They left the east and went to the east. But it's interesting um, because Abram is now coming from the east. Guess where he's coming? He's coming back to here. Now, Jewish tradition says that... Um, that the, what's now the land of Israel was part of the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was not just this tiny little like a backyard, right? It was huge. It was a huge area. We, we see that there were these four rivers that are given as some borders and uh, some guidelines of framework of what the Garden of Eden was. And tradition says that it was actually very, very, very large. I mean, all the way from Iraq and the Tigris and Euphrates, and, and, but encompassing even the area of Israel and maybe even part of Egypt. I don't know exactly. This is Jewish tradition. But I think it's plausible because it's interesting to me. So this would be what the Jew Jewish scholars would say. And on the very land that man lost... Their original, his original design. And Adam and Eve had to leave through the east. The Lord is bringing from the east a man. He's going to establish a people. And from that people, uh, he's going to bring the Messiah. And it's on that same land that the Messiah would pay the price at the cross to redeem you and I so that restoration could be possible. And it's on that same piece of property that we see in Acts chapter 3 that this Messiah will return one day and bring restoration of all things. Interesting. So I think it's plausible that that's probably uh, part of the Garden of Eden. And the Lord is really passionate. If you've been to Israel, I know many of you have, you, you know that is not ordinary property. It feels different. And I think it feels different because of all of this depth of truth and what God is doing and going to be doing on that piece of real estate. It's extraordinary. But so Genesis, back to our text, Genesis 12, verse 2, he says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And uh, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, this is Abram and all of his descendants, which would be the nation of Israel, in you, all the nations, the families of the earth will be blessed. And so even though God is establishing this covenant with Abram and his descendants, which would be the nation of Israel, he has all the families of the earth, verse 3, on his heart and in his mind. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, referring back to the Abrahamic covenant, says this, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, 
all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Acts 13, 47, Paul is speaking this out um, referring to he and Barnabas, he's quoting actually Isaiah 49, 6, and it says this, that for the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Here's Israel's original design. Israel in Genesis chapter 12, that they would be a blessing to all of the families or all of the nations on the earth. And hasn't that been true in In all sorts of ways, Israel has been such a tremendous blessing to all of the families of the earth. Yes, the Messiah came. Yes, the scriptures came from the Jewish people, but so has the drip system and the cell phone and and so many things that Israel has been such a blessing. I mean, by far, all the majority of Nobel Prizes that have come from Jewish people is disproportional to any other people on the planet. Just such a blessing. So they were designed to be a blessing to all families, but they've also been designed to be a light to the nations. Think about it. They're the carriers of the revelation of God. And so they would be the ones who who would... Uh, reveal God to the nations. This is a huge role. This is what they were chosen for. They were to be a light to the nations. Exodus 19.6 says that they're to be a kingdom of priests. And what do the priests do? The priests connect God with the people, the people with God. There is this, you know, and he said the nation of Israel is an entire kingdom of priests, connecting the nations with God and God with the nation, revealing him to them. Uh, And then in Deuteronomy 7, chapter 6, they're called a special treasure. Israel is called a special treasure. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. Why? Because they're, they're so extraordinary. They're so different. They're so, you know, Israel's so what, much better than everybody else. So the Lord's heart is for all, but they have a special purpose. They're the carriers. They're to be the light to the nations, the, the revealers of God to the world. They're going to, um, and, and so, so how did the enemy feel about that? Right. He's like, uh, so he hates them. He hates Israel, and he hates, he hates everybody, okay, right? But let's, let's try, he wants to thwart that plan. He doesn't want the message of the gospel going out to the nations, so he really doesn't have too many brand new tricks The enemy doesn't, but what he used was very, very similar, actually, to what we saw last month in in the decline of the church. The same tactics were with Israel first, and that was the enemy tried to annihilate them many, many times, many times. You know history. We won't go through it, but many, many times the the enemy has tried to annihilate the Jewish people, but if that wasn't going to be successful, then let's assimilate them. Let's, let's muddy, if we can't get rid of the messengers, let's muddy the message, okay? So now there's going to be, so, and this is exactly what happened, was, was where the Lord said, um, you know, have only, you know, one God, now there's going to, the enemy's going to introduce all these gods. If he says, have, you know, um, respect for your neighbor, or, you know, do, do A, B, and C, live this way, live holy, live just, live. He's going to introduce all of the things. He wants to dilute and to pollute the message, and that will change the character of the messengers. 
And that's exactly what happened. There became a mixture. Israel began to intermarry with the nations. They began to adopt those gods. And you guys know the story of Israel. I mean, it's right here for us to read. And, and they did not. I mean, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord in the last days of, of Moses, he begins to say, um, he says, if, if you will, Israel, if you will obey my voice, and follow my instruction, if you will live within the framework of what I've set up and accomplish the, the, uh, the purpose or how I intended you, then here's what I will do. Here's the blessings that will follow you. In Deuteronomy 28, about halfway through that chapter, and he said, and if you don't, if you choose to live outside of that, if you disobey, if you live outside of the framework and the instruction that I've given, here are the curses and the destruction that will come, and you will have to leave this land. And you guys know that that is exactly uh, what happened. In fact, uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Israel is known as the wife of God. And Ezekiel writes this, Ezekiel 16, 32, it says, You adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Isaiah 59, it says, it's speaking of Israel, it says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear for your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness, your feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. Oh, it's so sad. There was an original design. You're to be a blessing to every family, you're to be a light, you're to be a kingdom of priests, you're to be a special treasure. This is my design for you. And, but then they succumbed to the, to the disobedience, to the mixture. They allowed the enemy to pollute and, and to pollute the message and to distort the messengers. And most of Israel's prophets wrote very similar to what Isaiah wrote. They wrote very similar indictments against Israel. And there were so many, so many, so many, so many proclamations and urgings and warnings to turn, turn from your wickedness, put away your idolatry, uh, return to me, you know, the Lord would say to them, you know, I'll bless you. If you don't, you're going to be exiled. But, you know, he longed for them to repent and he sent prophet after prophet after prophet. But as you know, they did not turn fully. There were seasons where it felt like there was going to be some reform, but everything was pretty shallow. It wasn't deeply rooted. And if there was seasons of reform, like say in King Josiah's day, the shallow root was quickly just kind of swallowed up by the next king who would be very evil. And so in 722 B.C., so B.C. even, uh, you, you guys know this, the Assyrians came and they captured the 10 northern tribes of Israel and they were taken uh, into and, and scattered into the, to the known world and I'm sure that the Ethiopian Jews that we ministered were probably part of something, some descendant in there. And then about 140 or so years later, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the armies of Babylon went into uh, the area of, of, of Jerusalem where Judah and Benjamin were, the remaining two tribes, and took, they destroyed Solomon's temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. 
and they took these people into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. And this was the last, and that was in 586 BC. And 586 BC was the last time that Israel held sovereignty over their land until 1984. Isn't that amazing? 586, from 586 BC to 1984. So, and this was because they had deviated from their original design. What a cost. What a cost. But the same, um, but the same prophets that would prophesy of the judgments and the exiles with matching precision would prophesy about the restoration of Israel. The Lord's, remember our pattern, the Lord's not going to leave them there. Listen, people have a choice. You can be a part of the restoration process or you can choose to be outside of it. He's, you know, he's not going to force anybody, but he's making this available. He wants to bring Israel back to her original design. Uh, Jeremiah 30, and so many so many prophets. Uh, you, know, you should see the edit floor of my office on all the verses that I had to cut out for time. It's so sad to me. But the pro- all of these verses, uh, so many prophets begin to prophesy about the restoration of Israel. Look at just Here's one, Jeremiah 31, 10 through 11. It says, hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Who's he speaking to? To the nations. Hear the word of the Lord, nations. And let me just stop and say this. So after 70 years of them being in Babylon, remember, they came back, didn't they? They came back, and that's the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, the prophets that were prophesying. They were going to rebuild the temple, and they did. They built a second temple on the same piece of property, uh, the Temple Mount, and they, um, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. But even then, they were not sovereign that was 70 years later, they were not sovereign over their territory anymore. Now it was the Medes and the Persians were over them. Then it was the Greeks. Then it was the Romans. So that even in Jesus's day, even though we see that there's a temple in Jerusalem and Jesus is walking in it, we know that King Herod's there. There is some sovereign, uh, there's a sovereign rule, but he's a puppet. He's a puppet king to the Roman Empire. It's the Romans who are still ruling even in Jesus's day. They're sovereign over all of that area. And so in the year 70, you're familiar with this, I know, but the year 70, that second temple was destroyed. The Romans destroyed the second temple, and they dispersed the Jews again. And then about 60 years later, in 132, there was a law that came out, and this was like the real dispersion of all dispersions, and it, and they, it was punishable by death that no Jew, Jewish person could be in the area of what was then um, called Judea at that time. And in 132, the Romans changed. Listen to me, because you're not going to hear this on CNN. Uh, the Romans changed the name of Judea to, to Palestine. Wow. It's not because there was a Palestinian people. This was a thumb in the eye to the Jewish community because the Philistines were the arch enemies, right, of the Jews. And so the Romans said, let's call this area Palestine because of that and remind them. It's, it's, it's a stealing of, of identity. They changed the name in that year. They changed the name, the Romans did, the name of Jerusalem to Alia Capitolina. Let's just change your name. Let's change the identity and act like you never had a place here, even though it was part of God's original design. What a, what a thievery that that was. And so again, 
Israel, she's, she's just being tossed, and this was the real tossing, not just to, uh, into Babylon, but to the four corners now of the earth. And this is exactly what the prophet said would happen. She would go to the four uh, corners of the earth, but Jeremiah 31, where I just jumped from, says, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, into all the places where they had been scattered. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off and say, he who scattered Israel, what, will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger. Oh, my word, Hosea speaks of it, Isaiah speaks of it, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos all speak that when the, when the children of Israel come back, they will never be uprooted again. And there will be a restoration of all of Israel. But here's one passage, Ezekiel 39, 25 through 29 says this, Therefore says the Lord God, now I will restore, and this is the word that I've, I've I, have been following for a year. Uh, this Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I will be jealous for my name. Listen, he says what? The whole house of Israel. Why do you think he says that? Because there were two dispersions, weren't there? There are the lost tribes of Israel, those 10 northern tribes who our precious Ethiopian Jewish friends, Beit Israel, are a part of. And then there was uh, the southern tribe of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, more, def more definable, maybe more notable. But he says, no, the whole house, I'm not leaving anybody out. I'm not just restoring Judah and Benjamin. I'm restoring the whole house of Israel, the Lord says. And, and if we say that there are lost tribes, you know the Lord is he's not fumbling around the bushes trying to find his people. He knows exactly where they are and how to bring them home. This place that we saw where the Beta Israel were, such an impoverished area. Folks, that is temporary dwelling. They are on their way. Check this out. He said, I will be jealous for my holy name, verse 26, and they will forget their disgrace and all of their treachery which they perpetrated against me when they live securely on their own land with no one to make them afraid. And when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified or set apart through them in the sight of many nations. In other words, the nations will look at that and go, oh, their God is alive. Verse 28, and then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I, I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them again to their own land and I will leave none of them there any longer. The Beta Israel, the Ethiopian Jews, and all the others are all going home eventually. And I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I have, will have poured my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Um, so what we see in this verses, and we see it in, in several other passages, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, here it is in Ezekiel 39, there is a two-step process to the restoration of Israel. First, they will be restored to the land. The Lord is going to take them back to the land, and then he's gonna, they're going to be a, a return to the Lord a return to the land, and then a return to the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. He says, first in the natural, and then it's in the spiritual. 
So many things, that's how it happens. You see it in the natural, then you see it in the spiritual. Same thing with the restoration of Israel. You're gonna see it naturally, they're gonna return to the land, and then you're gonna see them come back to the Lord. And so, 1948, right? So, 1948, we see Israel becoming a nation. Isaiah 66, can a nation be born in a day? The answer is yes. Then, lo and behold, if God is assigns that and commands that, yes. 1948, Israel became a nation. But um, I don't know if you've ever read Golden My Ears autobiography. It's called My Life. I've read it several times, and if you like autobiographies, I highly recommend this one. She's so fascinating. But of course, she's the only female prime minister in Israel's history. And she, um, she was a part of that, that early group, the David Ben-Gurion and her and the others, that went into uh, what was then called Palestine and began to clear the, the fields, the swamplands that were full of malaria. They began to plant trees. They began to, to begin to establish some sort of a structure, even in the early uh, like 1920s and so forth, preparing a way because they knew that there was going to be a return of, of, the, of their people. In 1917, the British Empire, who at that time had custodial rights and care and sovereignty of some sort over uh, what was the land of Palestine, this Palestinian mandate, um, they were at the end of World War I, Britain, they were, do you guys know the story? They were out of TNT. And so there was a, a Jewish scientist, a physicist, I think, Heim Weisman is his name, and he helped them create a synthetic form of TNT, which helped England, Britain, win the First World War. And so they said, how, Mr. Weisman, how can we thank you for your contribution to this victory? And he said, I want a homeland for the Jewish people, and I want it on our ancestral place. I want it in Palestine. And so 1917, Lord Balfour, it's called the Balfour Declaration. This is just history. They signed it and said the intent of, of the British Empire is to give the Jews uh, the, the, their homeland in Palestine. But pressure came and pressure from the Arabs came and the oil was a big deal for Britain and pressure, 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 and they reneged. And it didn't come to pass until 1948, so 31 years later, and a whole nother world war. On the heels of the Holocaust, the world finally said, let's give the Jewish people their homeland. But in 1922, back uh, in between, right, the Balfour Declaration and Gold in My Ear and David Ben-Gurion, they're all there, they're doing the stuff. In 1922, the population of Jewish people in Israel, what, or what was Palestine at that point, was 33,900. But look at this, in 2013, look at the comeback. Look at the return to the land. 8,427,281 are living in Israel, of which over 6 million are Jewish. And so that's, in, that's five years ago. So it's even more than that now. Um, you know, the, they, I got to hustle up here. Good grief. Um, <clears throat> but this is, right, what, what are we seeing? We're, remember our key verses? That there, there is going to be a full restoration of all things when Jesus returns. But right now we're seeing times of refreshing. See, you know, they're coming back. They're coming back. They're coming back. Now, have they returned to the Lord entirely? No, not yet. But they're, they're I'm going to share something super quick. I hope this doesn't like swallow up all my time. But Matthew 24, 
um, you guys are familiar with this, I know, that Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's having a conversation with his disciples. He's telling them about, you know, I'm going to, I, I, you know, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to do all this stuff, and, and they're not fully getting the whole thing, but they ask him this question because they had to, right? Because it needed to be in scripture. And it's, they asked Jesus this, Matthew 24, verse three, it says, what will be the sign of your coming? In other words, let's, let's couple it with what we're talking about in, in Acts chapter three. What will be the sign of the culmination, the restoration of all things? What's gonna be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? And Jesus begins, right? He tells them about wars and rumors of wars and all the things that are, that are going to come. But he says this in Matthew 24, verse 32. He says, learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, the wars, the rumors of wars, and this fig tree, recognize that he is here right at the door. In other words, that's when the Messiah is going to return. Well, who's the fig tree? If we are to learn the parable of the fig tree, who's the fig tree? And in prophetic language, in biblical prophetic language, the fig tree is Israel. We know that. We know that. Um, but what are the leaves? When the leaves come forth on that fig tree, it's, this is a sign. And I want to submit to you something to consider. <clears throat> I can't die on my sword on this. But I, I actually really believe this. This is kind of a, a new thing for me in this process of considering restoration. But when you, can, when you think about a tree, um, and I'm, probably an arborist would be able to identify what species, what kind of tree it is, maybe even by looking at the bark, but you especially know by the leaves. When a tree puts forth its leaves, you can identify that's an oak, that's an elm, that's a bay, that's a walnut. You look at the leaves. And so I wanna submit to you that the leaves, okay, the tree is a nation, the leaves could be, I wonder if, I think it is, but you can decide, nationalism. What's the identity? What's the expression? You begin to know the nation. If you know the, the tree by its leaves, could you know the nation by its national expression? So if he says, hey, when you see this nation come forth and her national expression, you know I'm coming near. So this is interesting to me because in Luke 21, there's a parallel passage. The same exact conversation, Luke adds a, a, a little phrase here that I'm going to show you that I think might surprise you. Luke 21, 29, same conversation that Jesus is having with the, the disciples What's the sign of your coming? And he says, Then he told them a parable Behold the fig tree, and look what he says, and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it, and you know for yourselves that summer is near, so that you also, when you see these things happening, recognize the kingdom of God is near. If the tree is a nation, all the trees, so it, not only is Israel going to come forth, the fig tree, and bear forth nationalism, but there will also be a wave of nationalism among all the nations. So that made my mind start to think, has there been that? And so I started doing the research, and some of you are going to be better researchers than me, but I'll just tell you I gave it my best effort, and here's what I found. That, and I used two dates. What's happened in the nations since 1917, the Balfour Declaration, and what's happened in the nations since 1948 when Israel, when the fig tree brought forth her leaves? And here's what I found. 
was that, and this is, um, well, let me just say this. Since, since 1917, the Balfour Declaration, 155 sovereign national movements have taken place. 155 national sovereign changes have taken place since 1917. Since 1948, 139 of those have taken place. So it started in 1917, but the majority of the national shifts took place beginning the same year that Israel became a nation. And this far exceeded any other time in history when there was any other national movements. In Africa alone, it's between 50 and 60 nations that had some sh sort of shift. You think about it, the two, the two world wars, all that changed within the, after the two world wars. We, the Ottoman Empire was defeated. The British Empire uh, fell. The France lost its, some of its territory. The Soviet Union came down. I mean, that was a little bit after World War II, but it's all connected. And you guys know this, that, that the world map, had it got redrawn a lot in the Middle East and even in Africa. I mean, it used to be said that the sun never sets on the British Empire. But now, every 24 hours, the sun sets on the British Empire. And we see, we've seen it in Africa that, um, you know, that what's happening, the nations are shaking off the colonialism, and they're, what are they doing? They're bringing forth their own leaves. And so it's interesting to me that this prophetic language that, that Jesus is saying, when you see the fig tree, excuse me, when you see the fig tree and you see all the trees, when you see this wave of nationalism, and we are seeing that like never before. I mean, I was able to look at all of the countries and the different national shifts that have taken place. No time on in history has it been like it is since 1948. And what is the Lord saying? He's saying, I'm coming. I'm coming, and I'm going to restore my people. The same 1967 was the year that, that Israel regained sovereignty over Jerusalem. The first time that Israel had sovereignty over their capital, their eternal capital, since 586 B.C. The Lord is on the move. First, he's going to return them to the land. Then he's returning them to himself. And in the same time that Israel is, is, had gained in 1967 uh, sovereignty over Jerusalem, here in the United States, in, the, in, in our state, we saw the Jesus movement, same time, the 60s, and the, 70s, the 60s and the 70s, the Jesus movement, that revival came, and thousands and thousands and thousands of young people were giving their lives to Jesus. And mixed in that crowd was a high number of young Jewish people who were disenfranchised with, uh, with uh, the synagogue and the traditional ways. They wanted something fresh. And many of the leaders in the Messianic Jewish movement today were saved in that movement that was in 1967. And it's astounding to me, we don't have time for this, but if you could... If you, it's so interesting to me that these two things, what we talked about last month and this month, the restoration of Israel and the restoration of the church, they are moving like this together. When God is restoring something to Israel, he's restoring something in the church. Can I take your a couple of minutes and tell you one more thing? Okay, thank you. So if you need to leave that, you can leave. So um, in, I'm not offended. 
In the early 1900s, there was a man by the name of Eliezer Ben Yehuda. He was, he was a genius man, a scientist, I believe, from Eastern Europe somewhere. And in the early 1900s, so he's a part of the whole David Ben-Gurion, gold in my ear, all of that crowd. He moves into what was then Palestine, and he began to restore the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language had been lost. I mean, it was in Torah, it was in Scripture, it was going to be in the synagogue maybe, that sort of thing. But as far as it being a modern language, no, it had, had been lost. In fact, can I just point this out? Never in the history of the earth has there ever been a people who were removed from their land, lost their, their capital, lost their language, were gone for 2,000 years, and came back and got it all back. Never in the history of the earth, except for Israel. So in the early 1900s, Eliezer, Eliezer Ben Yehuda was, in fact, I have a dictionary, a parallel dictionary uh, that has his name on it, uh, English and Hebrew, and he's restoring Hebrew as a language for the Jewish people. You know what's happening in the United States and California at the exact same time? The Azusa Street Revival and and tongues, speaking in tongues is being restored to the church. As Israel was getting her language, the church was getting her spiritual language back. And this has happened like so many times in the last 100 years. Israel gets something restored, the church is having something restored. It's amazing. It's a full, it, and you know what, I'm sure Miles would talk about this. Uh, it, He'll do a better job. In the early 1970s, in, in Israel, there were only a few dozen believers that we know of. In the early 70s, in Israel, there were only a few dozen. Get this in your head. Ten years later, in the 1980s, there were, as we know, 200 or so Jewish believers in Israel in the 1980s. Today, and this is conservative, there's at least 150,000 Jewish believers in Israel with at least 150 Messianic congregations. What's happening? The Lord has restored them to the land and he is restoring them to himself. Has the whole thing happened yet? No. It's going to happen and you can read Zechariah 12 because I don't have time to go there, but you read Zechariah 12 and you're going to read about that meeting. When they are restored to their Messiah, when they see him come and they say, where did you get those wounds? And he said, I got them from my brother. And they weep. Here I am going to Zechariah 12. And they begin to weep and it says that there is a fountain of cleansing that's opened up for the house of Israel. Oh, it's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet, but we're seeing times of refreshing. We're catching our breath. The Lord is bringing Israel back. What does this have to do with you and me? Uh, you know, in Romans 11, uh, 25 and 26, it says this, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed about this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening of Israel has, ha uh, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Listen, when they rejected the Messiah in the first century, it opened up a way, and this has always been on God's heart, that all the nations would come to the Lord. You and I, I would hear about the gospel of Yeshua. There's been a partial hardening over Israel. In fact, the, uh, Paul refers to it in 2 Corinthians as a veil. That's been three. 2 Corinthians chapter three. You can read it. But there's a veil over the Jewish mind right now. 
And that's this partial hardening that's happened. But it says in 2 Corinthians 3 that when Meshua is talked about, when the Messiah is preached, this veil will come up. And this is exactly what Beit Abba is about. Because I believe that even as the Lord is restoring the church, which we saw last, last month, he's restoring Israel. And these two things are so connected that as the Lord restores back to the church her true identity, right? All those things that were lost, as all those things that aspects of that the church is gaining back. You can listen to the podcast if you don't know what I'm talking about. As we come back to full strength and being spirit-filled and, and we are going to also be reconciled to the Jewish roots of our faith and to our Jewish brothers and sisters in the Lord, which for centuries we've been separated from. And that's been a work of the enemy. But so I just want to encourage you, you are a part of this. Uh, 11, Romans 11 also tells us that, that this partial hardening has take place, that you and I might be saved, but it's to cause them to be jealous, to be zealous even is the word. In other words, your love for Jesus, your love for the Messiah, your love for the Jewish people is going to drive them to a place that they're going to say, I want what you have. Can you tell me about it? This will drive them to that. You are part, you are, you are plan A. You're part of God's plan for how is it that Israel will be restored. It's through the Gentile believers. This is what it says in Romans 11. And next month, Miles is gonna start a series on Romans 9 through 11. So he's gonna talk about that even more. But look at this. This is going to happen. The scripture says that the last days are dark days, and we're seeing that. We're seeing, and there will be an increase of that. I'm not worried about it. The, Jesus said, when you see wars and rumors of wars, he said, don't worry about it. These things have to take place. Okay, it's going to get darker. Everybody okay with that? Just say it's going to get darker. But, it's, but it says in, in Acts chapter 2, and we see this in, in Joel chapter uh, three, we, we know that even though it's dark in the last days, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to be upon the church that is going to be supernatural and unprecedented. So even though it's getting dark, it's going to be light on our side, right? And, and we're to take that light into the darkness. And listen, and as that, we see this progressing, and as the Jewish people are coming back to faith, and, and the church is being awakened to this relationship that it was so unified and one in the book of Acts, as we come back to that, we're going to see salvations taking place like never before. And just to close with this, uh, Isaiah chapter 60 says this, and we get a picture of Israel being, again, who she needs to be, a light to the nations. It says this, arise, shine, your light has come. He's talking to Israel. Your lights come, Israel. I'm turning back the light on, and it says, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth. Yep, it's gonna be dark, yep. And deep darkness, the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light. Oh, you guys are on it. Thank you so much. I have actually only one application point for you. I want you to be a part of the restoration of Israel. I want you to get this in your head. I want it to move from information to operation. I want it to move from I know about that to God is helping me live that out. My friends, you are here at Beit Abba on a Friday night because God has somehow put within you an interest and a love for the Jewish people. Do something with it. It cannot stay here. 
You have to get out of your, I have to get out of my comfort zone and talk to our Jewish friends, our Jewish family about the Messiah because we're plan A for the restoration of Israel. It's nice to be able to come to Beit Abba twice a month and to sing in Hebrew and hear Michelle read the Torah and hear Pastor Miles bring amazing messages. Yes, that's great and we love it when we sing and you know, but that's not, that's not it. It's not it. You have to go, please, I'm begging. You have to tell your Jewish friends and family about the Messiah because this is how, this is God's plan. And there will be an anointing on you when you do it. There will be a blessing. Will there be opposition? Probably, probably. But what's, what's, the, what's the alternative? When you see the Lord, when I see the Lord at his coming, you know what he's gonna say? He's gonna have two questions for you and me. He's gonna say, what did you do with my son? And he's gonna say, what did you do with what I gave you to do? And this, the restoration of Israel is something he has given the Gentile believers to do. My friends, and somehow the Lord has given you not just an opportunity, who else, what other church has a messianic ministry? Not too many. But here you are in this place. Would you awaken even further, because you're already awake to it, but even further to the call on your life to give the gospel to the Jewish people. Listen, all can pray. Everybody can pray. Psalm 122.6, Romans 10.1. Look them up. Everybody can pray. Everybody some may give. I, I actually deleted that and wrote this out many times. I, I was going to say all can give, <laughs> but I'll say some may give. But Romans 15, 27, it says, if you have benefited from Israel, you can bless her materially. All can pray. Some may give slash all can give. And number three, some will go. And my hunch is, because I'm talking to you, you're a part of the Semelgo. Because you're already here. You either have Jewish family or you have uh, an interest in the Jewish people. And, and so that's why God's given you this place here. Some will go. This is my life verse, Isaiah 58, 12. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer, that's our word, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Romans 10, 14 through 17. How, will the, how then will they call on him in whom they've never believed? How will they believe in him who they've never heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they've been sent? And just as has been written, how beautiful are the feet. These are your feet, my friends of those who bring good news. However, they did not all heed good news for Isaiah said the Lord has uh, believed our report. So faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Messiah. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash Beit Abba or call our office at 707-455-7790.